Hello and welcome to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, the garden show. Today I'm going to tell you about a sculpture show at Tower Hill Botanic Garden in Boylston, Massachusetts. I'm going to tell you about a snowstorm in October. Hey, can you make crabapple jelly from those pea-sized fruits of ornamental trees? I'll let you know what I discovered. And is it too late to plant bulbs? Stay tuned right after these messages for Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Underwriting also provided by Plant Skid, Deer and Rabbit Repellent, the first repellent to be listed organic by the Organic Materials Review Institute. Plant Skid is Swedish for plant protection and now comes with a plant protection guarantee. For details, www.plantskid.com. P-L-A-N-T-S-K-Y-D-D. Hello again and welcome. It's Ken Drews, and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Oh, the responses to the Real Dirt newsletter are so gratifying. We have subscribers in 27 countries. And if you aren't one, go to kendrews.com where you can subscribe to the newsletter. I want to give you a heads up on a book that's coming out in December, and we're going to have the authors on the show soon. It's called, What's Wrong With My Plant? And finally, someone has put it all together in one place with drawings and photographs of problems on all sorts of plants, on the leaves, on the roots, on the stems, and also how to deal with them. All sorts of ways to deal with them, from the least toxic ways to the conventional ways of dealing with them, sometimes with chemicals. The authors are David Deerdorf and Catherine Wadsworth, And this is really the book we've been waiting for. So that's What's Wrong With My Plant. That's coming out in December. Now, you might want to make a leaf identification scrapbook with your kids. Go around the yard and the neighborhood and collect a few samples of different leaf shapes and colors. Bring them home and identify them using a tree book or guide. You can dry the leaves in an old phone book. Now, you can place them in the back pages of an old phone book you know, separate them by about 20 pages or so. And you can leave them there for a week or two, and they will dry and flatten out, and you can tape them into a small sketchbook. But you can also put the phone book in the microwave. And this is a project for adults only, please. This is a triple X project, because you don't want kids using the microwave. Certainly not attended. Try low power first. You're going to have to experiment, because... All microwaves are different. Now, you don't want to cook the leaves or turn them brown. You just want to dry them faster, and and it works. They'll be ready in about 10 minutes. For the first try, put a few leaves inside one of the back pages of an old phone book. Place it in the microwave for a few minutes at mm, maybe half power. Watch it through the window and don't go away. Stay there the whole time. Let it cool. Check it out. Open it up and see if those those leaves have dried and flattened out. Now, we're talking about paper in a microwave, so you have to be careful. And if, you're, if your phone book has any metal, if it's stapled in any way, which is uncommon, I've never seen one, you know metal staples in the microwave, that's not a good idea. Okay? Last week, I toured the sculpture show at Tower Hill Botanic Garden in Boylston, Massachusetts, 
And that's an outdoor sculpture garden uh, show with about almost 60 pieces. Really worth seeing. It's running through November. Uh, They had works by many New England artists in the exhibition that was curated by Nancy Grimes. I liked a, a couple things especially. One was a bench made out of a split granite rock. Now, if you picture a boulder that was split in half and separated by about seven feet, and in between the two halves of the boulders, there were bent copper pipes. And that was by Jim De Silvestro. And uh, it, it was really something, very modern. It would have to be in a, in a large garden or maybe in a corporate setting, in an institutional setting. Another piece that was gigantic uh, featured two polar bears, and they, the whole thing was silver. And the polar bears were made out of discarded malt syrup cans from the Sam Adams Brewery in Boston. And it was called The Discarded uh, by Morris Norvin. And I don't know where this piece could go. It, it could Well, it could be on 6th Avenue in Manhattan in front of a some corporate center or Maybe it could be donated to the World Wildlife Fund to go in front of their building. But these uh, unfortunately discarded polar bears were made out of recycled or discarded cans. There was one piece that was... It it also had a found object incorporated into it. It was a piece of an old radiator called Captivation by Gampo Wickenheiser. And there were two marble carvings inset into the radiator hard to imagine. But the radiator, radiator had a couple of circles in it, and inside into these circles, were, one was a bas-relief of a nude female figure reclining, and the front of it had the front of the female figure, and the back had the back of the female figure, and the, the piece below, the sculpture below, was an eye, and the front of the eye was open, and the back of the eye was closed. And that was, a, that was not such a large piece, nor was it a very expensive piece, and I could see it easily being in a really terrific garden. But that was also quite a wonderful piece. Uh, it was designed to be viewed from the front and the back, so it would have to be in a place where you could walk around it. I have to admit that I like sculpture that has recycled things in it. And another one that was made out of, one could say, found objects, it was a giant pine cone, three feet tall, and the pine cone scales were made out of shovels, if you can imagine that. So radiating from the center of the pine cone and sticking out at different angles, the top ones were pointing up and the bottoms were pointing out and they had longer, slightly longer handles. But it's hard to imagine, but picture a giant pine cone all made out of shovels. I think it's very hard to cite sculpture in a garden. I think it's one of the hardest things. And Tom Kellner made a piece called Men Here. And that was perfectly cited. It was at a corner of a path and it overlooked a meadow. It was made out of a sliver of stone carved with the face of an American Indian and kind of the robe of an Indian. It was about seven feet tall. And it, it just was in the just the right spot. I hope that Tower Hill buys that piece and keeps it there. I think placing sculpture, as I said, is really hard. And maybe there's some tips that I can 
help you with. I need help myself on this front, that's for sure. If you have a garden and a garden that's complete and even a garden garden that's mature and you want to add sculpture to it or a large-scale ornament, that's about the hardest thing to do. Be prepared to drive that piece of sculpture or the ornament all around the garden for to try it in place to place to place. Maybe you'll find just the right spot. I, I hope you do. You know, if a tree comes down in a garden, some people say, oh, you're lucky now you have more sunlight or now you have a place to plant another tree. But maybe you have a place to make a, a pad of paving or just to set a perfect sculpture. I think in all, in all ways, it's better to start with the piece of sculpture and build a garden section around it, whether that means that you're going to have a little paved pad to set it on or, or decide that it's, it's going to be the centerpiece of a secret garden in the hidden spot. You know, you can, you can get a piece of sculpture and it'll just inspire the entire garden. You can use a piece of sculpture to terminate a view, for example, at the end of a path. Or maybe the one-sided sculpture needs to have a hedge behind it. It could be placed in front of a fence. Uh, perhaps it's in a, a turn in the path like that Indian sculpture was so that uh, people come to the place where the sculpture is and they know to turn left or right or move to another spot in the garden, perhaps where there's another piece of sculpture. And it's a great idea to visit public gardens and sculpture parks to see how these displays have worked there. You, know, you might go to PepsiCo in New York and purchase New York and see how all the sculptures are put there. Or Storm King in Millbrook, New York. Uh, and there's grounds for sculpture in, near Trenton, New Jersey. There are lots of places around the country. You know, Google it, find out, and see what you think. Now, maybe one place to start if you're going to put ornament in the garden is to just use a garden bench. A bench is often the easiest kind of ornament to place because they always look at home. But look at the place where you put the bench and look at the bench from a distance and close up in the garden. And then also consider the view from the bench. That's very important too. Even though we may not be, we gardeners may not be sitting down very much in the garden, visitors will. And what are they going to look at? That's even as important as looking at the bench. Well, now that I've put the fear of God into you, I want to take it all back and encourage you to lighten up. And I'm talking to myself here too, Ken. Are you listening? Don't take the garden too seriously. Think outside the box. Don't worry about what other people think. Especially when it comes to garden and ornament, it's a very personal thing. If you like it, it's good. Put it where you want it and enjoy it. And that that's definitely my advice. Take it or leave it, Ken. <laughs> it, it's hard. I think it's hard to put sculpture and ornament in the garden. Uh, start with a flower pot, just a, a big container, a large terracotta pot. Put it even empty. Just put it in the garden and, and see what you think. It's pretty easy to drive that empty flower pot around the garden, even if it is terracotta. You know, uh, maybe you need to put it on a dolly. You certainly need to get help. But if you have a, a, a pot that's about 24 inches tall, take a look at that in the garden. It's a wonderful color. See where it might look really great. And consider it a kind of, if not sculpture, ornament. 
at least it'll help you get started. So try that in your garden. Say, what about those crab apples? What about those tiny pea-sized crab apples on the ornamental crab apple tree? Can you harvest those and make jelly from them? Well, I couldn't. I harvested them, boiled them up with water and sugar, and I got kind of a mushy applesauce. It wasn't even like apple butter. And, uh, you know, strained the skins and strained out the seeds, and there really wasn't much there. You need bigger ones. So if you're going to make crab apple jelly, get those crab apples that are, you know, about an inch and a half in diameter because those little tiny ones, they just turn to mush. We'll be right back. Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Plants Kid Animal Repellent is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Developed for the forestry industry over 20 years ago, no other product has been so extensively tested for long-term efficacy. For details, www.plantskid.com. P-L-A-N-T-S-K-Y-D-D. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W dot com. Hello again. Thank you for staying with me. It's Kendrew's, and you're listening to Kendrew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Well, it did snow. It snowed in October. I can't remember the last time we... It snowed all day, but it was about 36 degrees, so it didn't stick on the ground. But there was that big white stuff. If it had been colder, I think we would have had probably four or five or more inches of snow. And then there was a little bit the next day, too. But it that was um, Thursday. Uh, I know. I know weather is wacky global warming, all sorts of changes, colder in this place, that's for sure. We didn't have a frost until, let's see, that was about the 18th of October. We had a frost, but several days before, we had snow. Hard to believe. You know, I've talked about plant blindness, and we also talked about no child left inside, and uh, I, I'm really encouraging people to take kids outdoors, especially if you can get them before they're three years old, turn over a rock, take a look at a bug. They're not that scary. You don't have to touch the bug. You can touch it if you want to. Look at a worm. Look at a spider web. But definitely get kids outdoors. I've seen so many children, unfortunately, abusing plants, plant blindness, they really don't think these things are alive. I saw a kid in Brooklyn, New York, who was beating a young tree with a baseball bat. And I, I'm i sure that he thought that that tree was just the same as the baseball bat. He's like hitting a baseball bat with a baseball bat. Or maybe he saw someone chop down a tree and thought that was a pretty cool idea. And I don't think it ever occurred to this kid that this tree was alive or that the little tree that he was hitting on was, was the same as the big trees on the street. This is a little street tree. Well, probably the best way to to get a kid to pay attention to a tree, to realize what a tree is, is to plant a tree with a kid. Go pick the tree out. Let the kid pick the tree and dig the hole. Dig the hole with the kid and plant it together. Know its name. Learn its Latin name. 
Maybe name it. You know, give it a give it a pet name. Water it and watch it grow. Now, it, it doesn't happen fast enough for a lot of kids, and kids are busy with lots of other things, and we're not talking about babies here, although I think that would be okay too. But, you know, a, a 10-year-old or 11-year-old, go out and buy a tree and plant it anywhere you have space. And fall is a really great time to plant deciduous trees because, as we've talked about on the show before, their roots continue to draw to grow until the temperatures reach about 50 degrees. Even after the leaves have dropped, uh, the roots will just keep growing and they're not stressed by heat. And they'll grow all the way up until December, until the ground is completely frozen. Trees are so important. They're especially important for birds and other wildlife. And that's especially if you plant a native tree, even a local tree, because the trees and the animals have evolved together. They've co-evolved so that they produce food or fruit or shelter for a specific species that you may have in your area. Of course, the tree will provide shade, and the, she, the tree will help offset global warming. You know, this is your carbon offset. Uh, trees clean air. Trees can flower. Trees are beautiful. And uh, kids, kids will love trees if you research together. You know, if, you, if your kid's like in, in his or her teens, they can help research and find the right tree to go look for at the garden center. The right hardiness, one that'll be the right size and shape, have interesting ornamental qualities, and again, a native tree that will that will take care of wildlife in your area. This doesn't have to be an expensive proposition either, because I've found that in so many cases, smaller trees catch up with the larger ones. The ones that are grown in the field, grown in the field, and they're bald and burlapped and are pretty large and have big straight trunks, you can. Maybe maybe if one's about 8 or 10 feet tall, you can buy a 4-foot tall tree, and in 5, 6 years, those trees are going to be about the same size. Uh, the, the trees that are field-grown and are larger, sometimes the bark is kind of hard. The wood is definitely hard. And it takes them longer to, to get established and longer to, to begin to grow. You'll see they just sort of sit for the longest time. But those small trees take off right away. And you can even do it through the mail. Get a mail order tree either in a pot or one that's bare root when it has all the soil washed off the roots those trees can take off and they will again make roots now in the in even if we had a snow if we get a snow it's probably better because it keeps the ground kind of warm but they will take take off now be sure when you plant the tree you don't want to plant it near power lines you don't want to plant it above sewer lines you don't want to plant it under power lines either, you know, power lines on telephone poles. You, When you look at the tree in the nursery, take a look at the angles of the branches. Try to see the roots, if it's bald and burlapped, make sure there aren't too many cut roots sticking out of that root ball. You want good branch angles above. You don't want to see broken ones. You don't want to see branches that are crossed. Uh, if it's a container-bound plant, a container-grown plant, make sure that it isn't too root-bound, that little roots aren't coming out of the holes in the pot. You don't want that. And the most important advice is to water, 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 water. 
And that's certainly something that a young person can do easily. Provide at least one inch of water across the entire root area of the tree every week until the ground really freezes. Now, about those bulbs, I have to tell you, I've gotten bulbs as late as January, and if I can get into the ground, if I can take a pickaxe and get it into the ground, get through the frost, I can plant those bulbs, and they do bloom. They almost always bloom. Now, these are good quality bulbs, nice and fleshy and firm, but not hard as rocks with no diseases, none of that green mold. Stay away from the small, discount-priced, really inferior bulbs. They're not going to produce well at all. And if you go to some location, you know, garden center or a box store, and you see those bulbs in bags, take a good look at them. Usually you can see them. They'll have a clear plastic bag. And look to see if there's green mold. If there's green mold, uh, maybe pass them up. If the bulbs are really really hard as rocks and and tiny, skip those too. Now, of course, tiny bulbs, small bulbs can be tiny, you know, if it's a grape hyacinth or something like that. But if they're narcissus or tulips, you don't want small bulbs, you don't want shriveled bulbs, you don't want moldy bulbs. If you're buying lily bulbs, make sure that the scales are all together and they're not open and apart like an artichoke. You want them kind of tight So if you have bought bulbs already and you haven't gotten them in the ground, don't worry about it. Get them in as soon as you possibly can. If you're going to the stores to see if there's some bargains, just examine those bulbs very carefully before you buy them. Maybe talk yourself out of buying them. Or maybe, you know, for a couple of bucks, try it. See what happens. Mark the ground. Be sure to put a a little label in, a stake in, so you can see how it does. Maybe you'll discover something that's a good tip for you for next year. But in general, if those bulbs don't look too good, pass them by. And next year, be sure to buy fresh bulbs earlier in the season. Do your ordering in August and September for for bulbs that will come and be planted at just the right time. The, The general rule of thumb is that the bulbs are planted about three times deeper than the widest part of the bulb. So if you've got a crocus, they go which are pretty small, you they'd go 4 to 6 inches deep. Tulips would go 8 to 12 inches deep. I find that my biggest problem is just finding spots to put bulbs because everything's planted so tight and I don't know how to get in there. Sometimes I'll just take a dibble, which is a, a pointed tool, and just make a hole and drop the bulb in as best I can and then cover up with some soil, poke in another hole and drop a bulb and then another hole around something like a perennial that might be in the ground already. I can often lift an entire perennial, set some bulbs in a circle around the excavated site, and then put that back in the ground, and then I'll have kind of a layered effect. So I might have some some species tulips that'll come up and be followed by a nice hardy hosta. So we've had a kind of catch-up show I've covered a few things that have been on my mind and things I wanted to talk about. We're going to be back to a guest next week. I'm hoping to have uh, Paul Bonin, who is the author of Black Flowers, and that'll be our Halloween show. We're going to have a guest who will talk about black flowers and black plants. Uh, Black flowers, black plants, those are popular. Let me tell you, blue flowers, we, we love. 
brown flowers I'd kill for. Black plants are to die for. But we're going to have a little Halloween show with black flowers and black plants. And there are some wonderful ones out there, like that slaty, slate-colored gray hellebore. And there's a kale that's deep, deep purple, near black. And, oh, there's, there's, there's the bat flower. That's amazing. That comes in white and black, but we'll talk about the black one. That's a tender plant. There's black orchids. I've been working on getting that black Nicotiana, but I'm only to espresso brown. I haven't gotten to black yet, but I've been selecting the darkest Nicotiana flowers in the garden, and each season I, I harvest some seeds from the darkest one that comes up from seed and save those and also save a piece of the plant, do some root cuttings or some stem cuttings or both. And I've got, I've got my espresso brown Nicotiana, and I love it. But, boy, black, brown, terrific. So be sure to catch me again next week, another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show, and with a guest next week, and we hope to have my technical difficulties fixed. I don't know if you could hear some of that, but uh, driving me a little crazy over here. And I think I might go to the nursery today and see what's around. Maybe some discount things or a treat a plant with a kid. See you next week. <laughs>